0: Good morning. good morning. There we are. Good morning, Victory Life Church. Great to see you today. How you doing? Give me a thumbs up if you're good. Let's get some energy going. And give yourself a nice pat on the back for being here today, all right? We're going to try to do some uh, physical activity to get ourselves going. Welcome to those of you joining us online. Great to have you. My name's Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors. And it's my great privilege to welcome you to church today. Isn't it great to be in church this morning. Indeed it is. Well, if you're, this is one of your first times joining us, we want to extend a very special welcome to you. And for those of you joining us online, go to vlchurch.com. And there's a banner that is specifically designed for you that says, Are You New Here? If you could click on that banner and let us know that you're with us, we would connect with you sometime this week and would consider it an honor to join you in your faith journey. For those of you that are here in person. If this is one of your first times joining us, if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church, please take one of those communication cards that can be found in the seat back in front of you, and if you could uh, be so kind to fill that out, and then meet me at the Welcome Center afterwards, I'd like to tell you all about who we are as a church, and uh, for you as well, we would consider it an honor to join you in your faith journey. I do have a few announcements this morning. We mentioned this last week, but we are having another Pursue Night, and we're really excited about that. That's going to be this upcoming Friday. It's a worship night, and really looking forward to encountering the living God. We've had a few of these over the course of the past six to 12 months, and we're looking forward to having another one this Friday night. You know, the Bible says in James that when we draw near to God, God will draw near to us. So we re- we really believe that when we take this moment to pause and to reflect and to focus on the things of God that he will meet us here. And so we're really looking forward to that. We're also going to be celebrating our annual picnic, our anniversary picnic on Friday night and that's going to be a blast. It's going to happen in our backyard after we worship together and we're going to have inflatables, we're going to have barbecue. And we might even have a kickball game that uh, emerges from all of this stuff together. And we're going to have a lot of fun with one another. So I hope that you'll come. I hope that you'll bring a friend and celebrate with us uh, this Friday night. One more announcement that I have for you uh, this morning. We will be having our annual Vision Sunday in two weeks from today. Is that right? It's August 14th this morning. So August 28th, we're going to be sharing the vision for the next Uh, 12 months for Victory Life Church. We're really excited about it. We really believe that God wants to use you to shine your light to your friends, to your family, to the world around you. And we really believe that God has been downloading some amazing things and that He wants to use you in a very special way this year. And Pastor Matt will be sharing a lot of details about that on Vision Sunday, Sunday, August 28th, in a couple of weeks. that's all I have in the way of announcements this morning. If you have come to worship the Lord with your tithes and offerings, you likely know what to do and how to do it. You can give online at vlchurch.com backslash give. You could give via text or you could give as you exit the sanctuary this morning. But indeed, thank you for worshiping the Lord with your tithes and offerings today. Can I ask you to stand in preparation for worship? Might we bow for a word of prayer together? Father God, I'm reminded this morning of Psalm 103 that says, Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. May you, in a special way, in a supernatural way, in a way that only you can do it, create in us a heart of worship as we lift our words to you, to honor you, to glorify you, to give you our undivided Attention, during this next moment of worship unto you because of what Jesus has done. It's in his name that we pray for these things. Amen.
1: Amen. Let's get excited this morning and put our hands together. We're here to worship him. He's a good and gracious God. Let's praise his name together. I have seen your faithfulness. You never break your promises. You are good, always good, my Jesus. Yes, you are. And in the tension of the night, speak your word, my guiding. I will trust, I will trust you Jesus. This is it, we praise Him.
2: Oh. I praise your name. In every moment I will choose to sing. is your name.
1: a hallelujah causes the enemy to flee. You say, why do I need the enemy to flee? Do you not have one thing in your life that troubles you? Do you not have one thing in your life that bothers you? Something in the way of a relationship, something in the way of your health, something in the way of even your finances, not your wealth, but your finances. Do you not have one battle that you could have somebody fight for you. One of the benefits of praise is battle being done and the enemy being scattered in confusion when we lift up the name of Jesus, when we praise. What does hallelujah mean? To boast in him, to boast in Jesus. When you boast in Jesus, heaven comes to fight for you. I need it every day single day. That's why we do it. Why do we give so much emotion up here? Why do we get so excited? Because I know that heaven's going to come fight for me when I raise a hallelujah. Why do I encourage you to do it? Because God's going to do the exact same thing for you. If you open your mouth. If you open your mouth. It's a benefit of praise. He fights our battles. And he can do that and will do that because of the battle that's already been won in our lives. There was a battle we had no business fighting. And I imagine a conversation went like this in heaven one time. Son, there's a disconnect between our creation and us. It's a battle they can't fight. It's losing and it ends in death every time. There's not one of them who can heal this relationship. Not one. Except you. Will you go? I don't know what the response was, but I know it happened. And Jesus came to this earth and he fought a battle that we could not fight on our own. And he took our sin in this hand and this hand and he took our sin in a crown of thorns and in a nail in his feet and a spear in his side and on his back with beatings he fought a battle for us And now when you call upon that same name Jesus you do have a relationship with the father and the son again when you believe in that name. This morning, we remember that sacrifice. We remember what Jesus did for us and the battle that he fought for us and his willingness to leave his throne to do it because he loves you and me. So let's thank him and worship him for it this morning.
0: Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for shedding blood to bring us back to you. Ephesians 4 reminds us where Paul said, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. We all were once far away. But you took the first step to get to us. And that is why we are here today, because you are the one who brought us to this place. So I just ask that you would just continue to draw us in now as we continue to give our attention for that which you have done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Well, once again, good morning. We're going to move into a time of communion together. And if you are a believer in Jesus and you're comfortable partaking, uh, we would invite you to join us. And at this point in time, if I could ask my communion, communion servers to come forward as we get our hearts ready, that would be terrific. You know, we take communion because uh, God told us to do it. Uh, Jesus, who was God, Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the exact representation of God. Jesus told us, as God, to remember what he did by having this time that we are participating in together, a time of communion. Uh, Communion happens um, when we reconnect with God because of what Jesus did when he was here in this world in physical form. You know, this week I was thinking about it, and I heard a well-known pastor by the name of Erwin McManus say that we don't have to earn our salvation by making our way up to God, because God provided salvation by coming down to us. I love what the Bible says about this in 1 Peter 3.18, where it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, for one specific reason, to bring you to God. You see, the reason you're here in this place this morning is because God brought you here. Now, you might have awakened this morning, and you got ready, and maybe you were kind of lethargic, and you were tired, and you didn't give much thought to that. But the reason you're here, the reason I'm here, the reason our worship team is here. Because it is because, in some mysterious, supernatural way, God has drawn you into Himself and He has revealed who He is to you. Now raise your hand if you believe that Jesus is God. Just look around at all the hands that are raised. Keep your hands raised. It's a miracle that each and all of you are raising your hands. You are raising your hands. Because God did that for you. And God also revealed to you why he died on a cross, why he shed his blood, why his body was broken, so that you could have salvation. It is somewhat mysterious, but it's true. And it's meaningful. And it's the reason we get to spend eternity with God. And it is indeed the reason that we have this time of communion together to celebrate that truth for what he has done. So you will come forward to receive your elements here in just a moment. Allow me to explain how this is going to happen. You will exit out the center aisles, and you will actually loop around and then come get your communion uh, in the name of uh, distancing this morning. Uh, If you get confused, we will have uh, Bill Anderson and a few others that can show you how to do it. But before uh, we actually release you to come and receive your elements, I would like to ask if there are any, any individuals here this morning that are not able, physically able to get up and receive the elements. If that is you, can you just raise your hand and our servers will come to you right now and deliver the elements to you before we release the rose to come and get your communion elements today. So we have servers in the middle and the servers up front. Our first rows can come now and receive the elements. And we'll partake in a moment together. As we finish up this morning, I'd like to just uh, lead into our time of partaking together. You know, it's my sense that we focus a lot on what God has done. We have talked about the fact that God has already done a lot by dying on a cross and shedding his blood. But there's also a verse that speaks about both what God has done and also what God is doing. And it captures the essence of that reality in Hebrews ten fourteen. I love what it says. It says, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So it's not just about what God has done, although that's hugely profound, but it's also about what God is doing in you right now. This moment that you're having, this time of communion, part of the reason Jesus wanted us to do it is because he is making you holy. To be holy means to be set apart for the mission that he has for you in this world. And I don't know about you, but I don't feel like I'm fully made holy. I'm sure if I asked you to raise your hand, many of you would feel the same way. We need to continue to let God have that part of our lives that needs to be laid down at the foot of the cross. I'm going to ask you to just take a moment before we partake together to just think about that one area of your life that you know needs to be made holy. And may you reflect upon that one area. Just make a decision right now to give it to God in silent prayer, and then we will partake together. Take a moment to do that. Well, this is so important that Jesus said, I-, I want you to take a few elements to remember me. And so on the night before he was betrayed, he held up a piece of bread and he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Take it and eat it and remember me. Can we take the bread together? On that same night, He took some juice and he said, this is my blood that is shed for you and it represents the new commitment that I'm making to you. Take this and drink it. Can we drink the juice together? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for making your way to us. We thank you for doing what you did. And we ask that you would continue to do what only you can do, which is to make us holy, to make us aligned with the purpose for which you have created us. May this time of communion continue into our daily lives this week. And may we be united with what you have for us in this world. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you.
3: Well, good morning once more. I am Pastor Matt. We're so glad to have you here at Victory Life Church this morning. We have a very special thing that we're going to do this morning after communion. We are kind of celebrating two great ordinances of the church on one Sunday because we get to dedicate two little babies to the Lord today, and these babies in first service happen to be cousins. True story? Well, that's what they tell me, right? And I just have to stick to the script, and so we're going to invite those families if you'd like to come forward at this time, and the great part about this dedication today is not only that, but... In second service, we're also dedicating cousins, so, you know, if, if, is there any other cousins? Yeah, come on up, come on the way up, we're good, we're good. So our children's director, Jody, is going to explain uh, a little bit about uh, baby dedication this morning as, uh, as these families come, and we'll be excited to pray over them and, and invite them into the family of God. Jody?
4: So baby dedication is a, a wonderful time when the church and the families involved in these precious new babies' lives um, take time and say, we're going to help to come alongside these children. We want them to grow in God. We want them to grow in his knowledge and in his um, wisdom. And so it's our opportunity as the church and as the family of these little ones to come along and say, we want to support them in this process. And so we're going to dedicate them to God. We're going to dedicate ourselves to focusing on helping them learn about God. We give each family uh, uh, three roses. The first rose is white, that's for the new child, and the second rose is red, that is for all that the mother has given in producing this beautiful healthy babies that we have, and the third one is gold for the father's leadership.
3: All right, well, there is no playbook on how to dedicate babies. In fact, I'll be quoting right out of the book of Second Hesitations today, but, one of, one of our favorite things to do at Victory Life, is it's, it's not magic, it's not weird. We just like to stretch our hands towards these little babies as we pray to say we are committing them uh, to the Lord with you today. And so would you stretch your hand towards little Michaela this morning, right? Yeah, so, Tell us about.
4: So we have uh, Maddie and Josh Kopsick and little Michaela. Yes, fabulous.
3: So let's pray over little Michaela this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Michaela. We thank you for this gift of life. Lord Jesus, what a blessing to be able to be here with this little one this morning. God, we pray right now in order to dedicate her to you. As an act of volition of her parents, Josh and Maddie today, she belongs to you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you died on the cross for her sins. It's wild to think in her innocence this morning, Lord, that one day she could stray from you. But Lord, you have already made a way back to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving her. The Bible says that you have known her from her mother's womb, and Lord, we trust that you know her, and now we pray today over her that she would come to know you at a very young age, Lord, that she would love and serve you all the days of her life, that you would make of her a mighty woman of God, Lord, that many people would come to know Jesus because of Michaela. Lord, I pray that you would give her strength and that you would bless her and that you would keep her. And God, I pray over Josh and Maddie today, would you just give them wisdom, tenacity to raise her in the way that you have called them to. And Lord, I pray your blessing over this little one today as we dedicate her. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen, amen. I'm gonna switch down to this side.
4: So we have Jason and Laura Mancini and
3: Jacob Mancini. All right. Would you stretch your hand towards little Jacob who's giving us a big smile right now of approval? No, he's not. He He was. Oh, there it is. There it is. All right. Let's pray over Jacob this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you for Jacob. God, we thank you for this gift of life that he is. We thank you that you've brought him into this world. Lord, we just pray right now to dedicate him to you. He is yours as an act of the will of his parents. They dedicate him to you, Lord Jesus, right now. You said in your word that you have known him from his mother's womb. Lord, we know that to be true. So we pray over him now that he would know you at a young age, that he'd come to know Jesus, and that he would love and serve you, Lord Jesus, all the days of his life. Lord, that he would be raised to be a mighty man of God. And that many people would come to know Jesus because of little Jacob's life. Lord, I pray that you would just bless and keep him all the days of his life, Lord. So he could fulfill the purpose for which you have for him. I pray for Jason and Laura today. Lord, give them wisdom in all uh, of their instruction to him. Give them uh, just a sense of tenacity to raise him as a servant of the king. And Lord, I just pray that you'd bless their household, Lord. As they raise this little one in nurture and admonition of the Lord, we dedicate him to you today in the name of the Lord Jesus and all God's people said, amen, amen. And just to upset the babies, can we just give God a hand clap for this blessing we have today? Congratulations. You all can be seated. All right, and as they're seated, young disciples, you may be dismissed to go down the hall Get a message on your level. There's a beautiful smashed piece of communion bread right below where my children were seated. We'll take care of that between services. If you have your Bibles this morning, would you turn in them to Matthew chapter 18? Sometimes I'm asked, why do you do baby dedication? You don't necessarily see that in the Bible. Well, baby dedication is scriptural in that it is a great acknowledgment of the great responsibility that God has given parents and God has given the church. And today we're going to look at some of the words of Jesus as to that incredibly great responsibility that we have for and over these little ones, because they do see and they do learn, not only from their parents, but from the church that they attend, who Jesus is, what Jesus is all about, what Jesus has done for them, and what Jesus demands from their life. Our children are a great responsibility. And when I say our, I am saying both as parents, but in a collective sense, our children, the children of the kingdom, the children of the church, the children that God has given us collectively, they catch what we're throwing. They pick up what we're putting down. And when we dedicate a baby to the Lord, we're saying that we are acknowledging our responsibility to throw the right things their way and to put down in, in, in speech and in writing that which truly honors the Lord Jesus. Because after all, what we have is catching. And I, and I don't mean a virus. I mean what we have in Jesus. It's catching. Children pick up on it. They see who we are and what we're doing. And they're either going to emulate it or they're going to run from it, but they are going to be impacted by it. They see and they learn. Just last week, I was coming down Hudson Drive. One of my kids was in the car with me. We were coming to vacation Bible school. Very exciting. And we're on Hudson Drive, and we're coming right past Walmart. And and I'm I'm accelerating past that stoplight in front of the National Tire and Battery. And I hear from the little one in my car, What's this guy doing? And I said, Who are you talking to? And and my kids said, That car up there, what are they doing? And I said, I don't know. What are they doing? And they said, well, they're just, they're, they're, I just want to get to VBS. And I thought to myself, they're going five over, what more do you want? Now, where did they pick up that road angst? Where did they pick up that sense of frustration at the other drivers on the road? I'll tell you, it's their mother. She's serving in the nursery right now. And I will pick a new anecdote for second sir. No, it's not their mother. I, I'll get in trouble. It is me. They pick up my angst. I'm always in a hurry trying to get somewhere. They pick up what I'm putting down. They catch what I'm throwing. They get what's, what's em, emanating from me, and they either emulate it or they run from it. Well, Jesus recognizes that the children of the kingdom are a great responsibility. We must give them our best. Don't you want that? Don't you want that for the little ones that were up here this morning? God's best for them? Don't you want that for your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews? God's best? Well, Jesus is going to talk about giving them God's best. And he's going to do it in four different ways, and that's not a tidy little sermon. Tidy little sermons are in three things. But Jesus does four things. In Matthew chapter 18 to make sure the children get God's best. He's going to point out a wrong value. For those of you taking notes, go ahead and this is a great way to to follow along. He's going to point out a wrong value to his disciples. And then after pointing out the wrong value, he's going to talk about the right value. What's the right value that I want you to have? He's then going to give someone elevated value. And then he's going to make sure that our eyes are on God's values. So if you're following along today, that's a great way to follow along. Let's look at these four things that Jesus does as it relates to the great responsibility that we have to children. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put the child in the middle of them and said, Truly I say to you, Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. I just wanted to stop there because it's such a beautiful word picture. Now, let's talk for a moment. It's not a beautiful word picture, sarcasm. It's the sixth love language. The the, the thing that's going on here is the disciples come to Jesus, and he's going to point out they have a wrong value. They want to know who's going to be the greatest among us. They know that Jesus is a superstar. They know that Jesus is important. They suspect that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. They suspect that they can rhyme Jesus' coattails all the way to the top, and they want to know who among them is the greatest? Who among them is going to have the, the, the seats of, of, of awesomeness in Jesus' kingdom? And Jesus is just going to reply to them, that is not what I need from you. That is the opposite of what I need from you. That is completely unhelpful for you guys to be worried about who's going to be the greatest in my kingdom. That is not a value that I can have you guys espousing. This is a problem. If your eight-year-old looks at you and says, you know what, you've had a really busy day. You want me to drive? You're not going to go, yeah that's, that's going to really help me out. In the same way, Jesus did not need his disciples worried about who was going to have places of prominence in his kingdom. That was the last thing that he needed. And he was so frustrated that they would even be thinking this way. He makes a determination. His determination is, I, I need a kid. I need a kid. I, I need a kid. Come here come here, come here. come here. Puts a little kid in the midst of them. And he says, listen, here's, here's the right value that I want to talk to you about. If you want To be great within my kingdom, you need to be humble like this one. That's the right value. The wrong value is to to engage in, in life on the world's terms. The right value is to turn and become like this child. And if you don't, Jesus says, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He said that to his disciples. Think about that for a minute. These are guys who have left their homes and followed him. They've preached. They've done miracles at this point. And he looks at them and says, you ain't in. Are you catching that? He says, if you don't turn and become like this child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm sure they thought they were in. But Jesus is letting them know you ain't in. Something's missing here. A childlike humility is missing and that childlike humility is going to help gain you entrance into my kingdom. So, So what does that mean? See, that's the real problem because he doesn't go on to explain a childlike humility that exercises itself in dot, dot, dot. Jesus doesn't go on and explain why they haven't entered the kingdom. He just says you haven't because you have not turned and become like a child. But, but, but the real value here is that you humble yourself and become like this child. So what does he mean? This is a problem for us. We have to look deeper into the text. The first thing I want to mention is, is that Jesus is talking in terms of the kingdom. And when Jesus preaches about the kingdom, especially in the book of Matthew, he has a formulaic statement. And a statement is, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Anybody heard that before? Maybe somebody knocked on your door and said it. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn your life, rearrange your values, whatever trajectory that you were headed on, whatever you thought was good, noble, righteous, a good way to live, turn away from that, And turn towards my way of doing things, my way of thinking. Turn back to God, and you will enter the kingdom of heaven. That is what Jesus wants of people. Isn't it interesting that here in Matthew 18, he looks at his disciples and implies, not just implies, he pretty much states flat out, you haven't turned yet. He says, turn and become like this child. You haven't turned yet. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So if if we're looking at that word turn and we're looking at this this question of whether or not they become a child yet, that turning has to have something to do with turning towards God and his ways, his righteousness. And if you want further proof of that this morning, you would look at the two other times that Jesus says something exactly like this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You won't. Now, that's pretty scary because the Pharisees thought they did it all right all the time. But they were warped. They really didn't do things God's way. They looked very religious. They, they looked very pious. They knew what to wear to church and how to act there, but they were not righteous. And, and, and Jesus says, if, if you're like them, you're not going to enter. If you're not like this child, you're not going to enter. And one more bit of information I think it's going to help us understand what this childlike humility is all about. Jesus says this again in Matthew 7, verse 20. He says in Matthew 7, 20, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven except the one who does the will of my Father. The will of my Father. So taking together all of these statements and the turning that we see here at the beginning of this passage, this has to do with turning towards God and espousing a new set of values, a kingdom rightness, righteousness, As God sees it, that's the turning that he is calling them to. This turning, this childlike turning, does not mean that they're perfect. It does not mean that they're always obedient. But I do believe it means that they are willing to take their values, their ways, and their way of understanding things and saying, I'm done with that. In humility, I am going to turn, and Jesus, I'm going to allow you to teach me. I'm going to allow you to give me the real values of the kingdom. If I don't have them, Jesus, you have them. If the Pharisees don't have them, Jesus, you have them. If there's people who even call you Lord that don't have them and need to do the will of your Father and Jesus, you know the will of the Father, then I'm going to turn towards you, and what I'm going to become is teachable. I'm going to become teachable to the point that I believe what you say, Jesus, is true, and I'm going to do what you say, Jesus. I'm going to be teachable. I think that's the childlike humility that he's asking for. In fact, I'm pretty certain on the basis of Scripture that's exactly what he's trying to say. You're not teachable yet, guys. You're not really believing what I'm preaching because if you were, you wouldn't be going, who's the greatest? You wouldn't even have that in your mind. And if you want proof positive that these guys aren't teachable yet, turn in your Bibles one page. I mean, literally to chapter 19, verses 13 and 14. I wasn't going to go there, but why not? Let's head there anyways. Chapter 19, verses 13 and 14. It says... The children were brought to Jesus that He might lay His hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked the people, "Don't bring those kids to Jesus." Didn't Jesus just say, "If anybody receives these, this child, he receives Me"? These guys weren't teachable yet. They were going, "Yeah, yeah, Jesus, we got it, we got it," and then they're going to go do things their own way. He had just told them a chat. Now, it's a, who knows how much time really passed? But a chapter earlier. Whoever receives this child receives me. And and the disciples turn around and go, don't bring those babies to Jesus. He's too busy and important. You're never going to enter the kingdom that way, guys. You're not teachable. You're not obedient. I liken it to my kids and vegetables. You say, this is going to be a stretch. Oh, Oh, it will be, but go with me here anyways. My kids know that they are not getting down from the table Till they eat something with vitamins, nutrients, and fiber. And it's usually green. It's a vegetable. They know that that's the rules. If they want more of that starch or more of that protein, they are going to have to eat that leafy green thing. And eventually, at some point, even though they're crying, <laughs> I don't want to. And, and at some point, they're sitting there for two hours. Can I get down now? At some point in their childhood, they recognize that they need to eat their vegetables. And all of a sudden, they're like seven or eight and they're eating their vegetables because they have come under my authority and at some point I'm going to win. Because they're under my authority. Now they'll, they'll say to me, they'll say to me, I know I got to eat them because they're healthy. <laughs> like they get it, but it's not until they get get it that they get it. Quote me on that, put it on Facebook. It's not until they get get it that they get it, but they get it. They eventually get it. They come under my authority. They're teachable to the point that they do what they need to do. They, they're not stubborn to the, point, to the point of obstinacy that lasts longer than three, four years. But they eventually eat their vegetables. Now, I have adults who come to my house, they don't eat their vegetables. I do. They'll come to my house and I'll be like, would you like some broccoli? <laughs> no, I don't prefer broccoli. <laughs> would you like some green beans? No, I'm trying to quit, thanks. <laughs> you know? I can't make them eat their broccoli. I'm not going to be like, you, you should know better. Vitamins, minerals, fiber. You need fiber. I can't make them eat their vegetables. I even had one person that came to my house and they were heaping, this is an adult, heaping spaghetti and meatball on their plates. I'm like, hey, would you like some salad? They said, no, I don't have any room for salad tonight. <laughs> don't those adults know better that they need vegetables than the kids? Those adults know that they need the vegetables more than the kids know that they need the vegetables. But why is it that the kids are eating the vegetables and the adults aren't? Because the children are programmed for obedience and the adults are programmed to do things the way they want to. Unless you humble yourself like this child who is programmed for obedience, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's the second thing Jesus does. He does two more. Remember, this child is sitting in their midst, and he says, whoever receives one such child, this is where he elevates the great responsibility we have towards children, receives me. Receives me. Now, children are not Jesus, and Jesus are not children, but the word receives is the center of what he's saying. Now, we have a little bit of this left in our English language today. Uh, Maybe your grandma said, I I can't do that. I can't have you come over. I'm, I'm receiving people this evening, okay? That's how my grandma talked, forgive me. We have a little bit of this left in the English language. This means to host as an honored guest. I couldn't make too much of this. This is not some sappy 21st century sermon about how we ought to love the children because love is good and children need love. This is not that. Jesus is setting setting a, a large and heavy responsibility on the church and the leaders of the church that we are, are, not our, are, to receive children as honored guests Any New Testament introduction book that you're going to get is going to talk about the rules of hospitality and this word receive. Any one that you get. I'm not making too much of this word receive. This is, I am receiving an honored guest, and I am going to take care of their every need. I'm even going to wash their feet if I don't have a servant to do it. I'm going to receive this child. I have a great responsibility toward this child. Receive this child if you receive them. It's as if you're receiving me. That's how you're to treat them. That's the heavy responsibility that he's giving us towards children. That's it. That's huge. That's the elevated value that Jesus gives children. Not because they will be the kingdom, not because they're the future of the kingdom, but according to chapter 19, verse 14, they are the kingdom. It belongs to them right now. They're not the future they are. They are right now. Right now. Now, so if we're constantly shuffling them off, if we're constantly making sure that that they're that they're not seen and not heard, if we're constantly in this mode where where we're, we're we're hyper focused on ministry to adults and but we're not worried about the rearing of our children, we are in error. We're in error. We're in error. Because we're to receive them as honored guests, says Jesus. Not to the detriment of ministering to adults. It doesn't have to be an either or. It doesn't have to be, well, if you minister to the kids, you can't minister to the adults. Who thinks that way? That's that's, that's zany. But this was an era, historical context for just a moment, this was an era in which children were supposed to be silent, children were supposed to be no greater than the household servant, until such time that they came of age. And Jesus says, if you receive them with great hospitality, you've received me. If you've you've rolled out the red carpet for the children, then you have received me. Now, what does rolling out the red carpet mean? What is God's best for them? What what is he after for these children of the kingdom? Well, when Jesus thinks about children, apparently in verse 6, he thinks about sin. You think, well, Jesus must have met my children. Is that what you're thinking? When Jesus thinks about children, he thinks in terms of sin and righteousness. He thinks in terms of the kingdom, which is filled with righteousness, which is filled with right behavior, which is filled with with God's agenda for this world. And then he thinks about the opposite, which is sin, which undermines the kingdom, and, and which... Completely negates the work of the kingdom in the life of a believer. And this is why Jesus says if you do such things as to cause these children to sin, it'd be better for you to die mob style than what heaven's going to do to you. It's a beautiful picture. What's the best way to elevate the value of children? Is it to give them all the greatest experiences? Is, is it to spend more money in the children's department? Or is it, according to Jesus, to make sure that our children know to live righteously? That the same humble obedience that he is desirous of in his adult disciples would be taught and modeled to those who are young in the faith. That the greatest gift that parents and the church can give their children are God's values. The greatest gift. The world's values lead to death, heartache, heartbreak, but God's values lead to light and life and hope. That's the best thing that we can give our children. God's values, God's way of seeing things. Turning with our children, and when I say that hour, that's a collective hour still, our children, the children of the kingdom, the children of God's church, and say together we are going to be teachable and obedient, and move towards righteousness. Come with me. Let's do this together. We'll learn together, and we'll make sure that there ain't no millstones here at our church. And I gotta be honest, at least in my household, this is where I can get lost just a little bit. I'm afraid that there are some values that I'm teaching my kids that are not God's values. And the thing that I think is most nefarious, this is a confession to you this morning, the thing that I'm most concerned about is that I'm teaching my children that the values of family and the values of fun are higher than the values of God. Talk about me. I'm talking about the dad who wants to make sure that my kids have a great childhood and great experiences and great trips and great the the, the right things and the right material things. And I want to make sure that they have the the best, the the greatest Mario poster on the wall and the greatest family vacation. And, 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 And all of a sudden, I am pursuing the dream of Clark Griswold. And I'm not pursuing the dream of God's kingdom. I'm not pursuing God's values. I'm just making fun and family the very center of the world. That is the millstone I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of the millstone of of the sports complex that our our, our nation currently lives in where where I I go from one season to the next season to the next season to the next season to the next season. I'm talking about me here. I'm not talking about you. I'm afraid. I'm, I'm concerned that, that my kids might get the idea that the greatest value in our home is the team and the sport, not the Lord and his kingdom. Now, because I have to be honest with you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So the Pharisees knew and the disciples knew that, that we want to teach purity over lust. And the, 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 the Pharisees knew and the disciples knew that we want to, we want to teach self-control over dissipation. And the, the, the Pharisees knew and the disciples knew that we want to teach honesty over lying. They knew the morals. It was the attitudes of the heart, the inclinations of the human being, to raise up idols in the face of what is actually the one true God and say, we are going to serve that idol as a family, we're going to serve that idol as a church, and just beyond that idol is the faint picture in our mind of the Lord Jesus. That's what I'm concerned about. I don't know what millstone you may be pursuing today, but we have to be careful, folks, that we're teaching the values of the kingdom, that our kids do not stumble. We can stumble over money and the things that it provides We can teach our children that our work is more valuable than the kingdom. We can teach our children that our hobbies are more valuable than the kingdom. We can teach our children that achievement is more valuable than the kingdom. Or we can teach them to love and serve Jesus all the days of their life and give them what's best. I hear so much from Christians today. It's it's a refrain that is constantly hitting my ears. Pastor Matt, I am so worried about what the kids are exposed to, what the kids hear, and what the kids are taught at such a young age. To which I say, I'm worried too about what they're exposed to and what they hear and what they're taught at such a young age. And I'm also worried about the things that they're exposed to outside the home as well. Some of you are like, I see what he did there. Others are like, I don't understand. I'm not talking about moralism. I'm not talking about about this is right and this is wrong. We must stand for right. We must stand and say that is wrong. We must teach them what is good and what is noble and what is true and what is pure and what is righteous. We must tell them those things. But we must, above all things, teach them to love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. That's of greatest value. That's the best thing that we can give them. That will cause them not to sin. What causes me not to sin is not my knowledge of what is right and wrong. It's not my knowledge that I need broccoli because of iron and fiber. I have the knowledge that Jesus Christ has died to save my soul. And that when I reach heaven, he's the one that I'm going to see face to face. And I want to know that I served him with every ounce of my being. That's the knowledge. The relationship with Jesus, that's what we model above all else. And then when we say, you know what, the world says this is right, and the church says this is wrong, but we're going to side with the church here because we love and serve Jesus, then we have a leg to stand on because our children know that we love and serve Jesus above all else. And they see, and they, they see that modeled in their lives, and they go, I can respect that. Doesn't mean they'll never rebel, doesn't mean they'll never stray, it just means they'll know. Now, you might, you might know something. You might know that I'm a pastor's kid. Which means that technically I should be a rebellious idiot. The truth of the matter was, for a time I was a rebellious idiot. Not because my parents didn't model the right things, just because sometimes we all are wooed by sin. But I'll say this to you. The world would say I had two strikes against me as a pastor's kid because many pastor's kids are raised by a pastor whose whole world is the church, who never has any fun, and and then sins in the home while preaching against it on Sunday. But I gotta tell you, one of the reasons that I serve the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, and one of the reasons that someone who, you know, I once had a very animosity-filled relationship with because we were brothers two and a half years apart serves the Lord this morning. He was just gonna play. It's because even though we saw faults and failures in our parents, we know that they loved and served Jesus and it was legit. It was legit. And not that we're some paragons of virtue. He still thinks I'm controlling and sometimes I get really mad at him, but we serve the Lord Jesus today because we saw that loving and serving Jesus was the most important value. Now the second strike against being a PK Sorry, Aaron, for when God blesses you. Is that from a very early age, you can see the yucky underbelly of the church. You can see that people aren't always perfect. You can see as your parents get criticized and hurt. And you can think, ugh. And therefore, the world will tell you that's why so many PKs rebel. They see the yucky underbelly of the church, but I don't just serve the Lord today because my parents served the Lord. I love and serve the Lord today because of so many of you. Because you've loved and served the Lord. And as I grew up, I watched you love and serve the Lord above all else. Didn't mean that you were perfect, Dave Anderson, but I watched all those years of loving and serving the Lord. I had to pick Dave. He's sitting there. He's actually literally under a stream of light right now as if he has a halo. <laughs> I watched men and women of faith, men and women of faith who have served Jesus their whole life long, not perfect, not without fault, but have proved to me the values of the kingdom are everything, everything. That's the responsibility that we have taken on today as a church brothers and sisters. That the children of this church would see that we love and serve Jesus with our everything. Our time and our talent and our treasure. That it's legit. That this isn't a game. That we're not the Pharisees dressing and looking and acting the right ways. But we love Jesus and serve him. That's the responsibility that we prayed ourselves into today. That's the great value of the kingdom. That we'll model it to our children. Let's pray and ask for his strength to do it. Lord Jesus, if you needed perfection, you would have never called disciples. If you needed perfection, you would have never called us. But she did tell us to seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and all these things in life that we worry about will be added unto us. And you taught us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, I don't know at what point all these kids that are down the hall right now will question their faith. I don't know if all of them will. And I don't know at what point they'll rebel against you and not be teachable anymore. And in that very moment, I'm, I'm convinced that your spirit will be drawing them back with patience and mercy and grace the way you have for us. But Lord, I do pray over us today. At that time when they question all things, and at that time that they possibly rebel against you, I pray that they can look at their moms and dads, both naturally, but also of the faith, in the faith, of the church, and say they loved and served Jesus, so I can trust, I can trust that that life is the right one. Oh God, help us to model love and service to you above all things to be teachable and humble in your sight so that the present kingdom, these children, can see you in us. We pray these things today in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. You may stand because if you don't start moving, you can't leave. Be blessed today. Our, uh, our missions director is the head of our uh, men's retreat that is taking place one month from this very weekend. For those of you who have never been on the men's retreat, it is a great time. Bill is standing right there in the door, ready to accost you with flyers. I hope you'll come out and hang out with us that, week, that weekend. It's going to be a blast for all you men. See Bill on your way out. We will see you Friday night for Pursue Night and an annual church picnic. God bless you.